Now, I'm always slightly apprehensive um, bringing up the subject of marriage because people have such different experiences of it. For some, it's a good experience. For others, not so good. For others still, you know, the goodness of marriage can be interrupted by bereavement. So it can be quite difficult finding something to say that everyone is going to find helpful. Uh, we, and when we want to celebrate the blessing of a long marriage, uh, as we will uh, today, I'm conscious that it could leave others thinking, well, it's all right for some, uh, but it hasn't been so good for me. So I hope just these few words I'm going to share now will prove helpful for us all. And please forgive me if I can't speak into everyone's reality in just a, a brief sermon. Perhaps I should firstly say that uh, not everyone gets married, and that's okay. Uh, because there's even a passage in the Bible, actually, that, where the Apostle Paul speaks about the blessing of singleness for those who feel that's right for them. Uh, society, I think, can sometimes give us the impression that if you don't find a lifelong partner, something's wrong with you. But that is not true. And for those who do look for that soulmate, they, that future spouse, perhaps, again, I think sometimes society can give a little bit of an un unhelpful impression of that. For example, people often speak about finding the perfect partner, which is not always a helpful place to start because none of us are perfect. Uh, we all have our foibles and our imperfections, and every single marriage there has ever been has been a marriage of two imperfect individuals who learn through love for one another to adapt and change and love each other through both the ups and the downs, the perfections and the imperfections which characterise all our relationships anyway. And perhaps that is why we do celebrate a long marriage, 40 years for example, because we value the love that has kept those two imperfect people together through all those years. Sorry, you are both imperfect. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> just trying to be honest. We all are, aren't we? Uh, we want to celebrate when, when love can hold two imperfect people together for all those years. Whatever our own experience may have been, we're glad that there are those people who can celebrate these milestones. But this morning I also wanted to talk about God and how God uses marriage as a picture of how he loves us all. Uh, which I think actually helps us think about our own relationships, whether that be our relationship to God or our relationships with each other. Now, in the Bible, marriage is one of the first blessings that God gives to us. Uh, in a quite striking passage near the beginning of the Bible, we see a human being, Adam, fall into a, a deep sleep. And then he's pictured being split in two so that there are now two individuals and they then come together as one flesh, it says, in their commitment to each other. Now, the older English translations of the Bible, unfortunately, translated it as one of Adam's ribs being made into Eve. The word used in the Bible actually means one side of Adam. Uh, and and it's, what it means is this. These two individuals are supposed to be considered equals. They are like two equal halves of the same thing. They're made of exactly the same stuff, and then they come together as one flesh, as it puts it, which I think is telling us that when two people commit to each other in love, it is like two halves making a new whole. Our English phrase, my other half, is therefore, I think, quite a good one. Uh, and it, it can help to think of marriage in that way. Within marriage, we're not just two individuals anymore, but one new whole. So that nothing I do, I'm married myself, there's nothing, nothing I do should be disconnected from my other half 
who is now as much part of who I am as I am myself. So to love that other person is to treat them as I would want to be treated and to be loved myself. To support and to bless and to build that other person up is to also experience a certain wholeness in what it means for me to be blessed as a human being. Because true blessing is found in blessing others. And in fact, that's true for, therefore for all our relationships in one way or other, with our friends and our neighbours too. And indeed for the whole human race, I would say, because our own well-being is always bound up with the well-being of others. Now, that, that love and unity that can bring two human beings together is also a reflection of God's love for us and God's connection to us. Uh, within the Bible, God says that he feels a kind of inseparable connection to each one of us so that his life is deeply bound up with yours we see that for example in what God shows us in the life of Jesus Christ that God actually cares for you uh, that he rejoices in your joys that he feels pain when you suffer that he shares in some sense our burdens as he helps us through them because God wants us to flourish as we love him and love one another, and, and by doing that, we begin to reflect uh, the love and goodness of God. And that's how we flourish and how the world can become a healthier place. In Jesus Christ, God actually became one of us. He became human. God became human so that God is forever joined to our human life and our human progress and future. And on many occasions in the Bible, God says that the love he has for us is just like the love of a good marriage partner. So that in, in one sense, God is like our other half. Now, one aspect of that is, of course, God's faithfulness. We all know the importance of faithfulness in our relationships. And we know that unfaithfulness can cause great damage, sometimes irreparable damage. But we're told that God is always faithful. He always remains faithful no matter what, he says. He doesn't walk away from us. So it doesn't matter how far we may have gone away from God in our lives. If we call to God, he is still there. There's a passage in the Bible that puts it like this. Even if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful because he can't contradict who he is. It's like God in his very nature has this unstoppable love for us. Nothing we do or don't do can change that. In Jesus we see God would even die for us. Jesus shows us that in his crucifixion. Now, of course, this faithfulness means forgiveness is needed at times, just like it is in any lasting relationship. And God often speaks of his willingness to forgive our sins. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross uh, is described as God's demonstration of his forgiveness. Um, as the human race has crucified Jesus, Jesus on the cross said, forgive them. And God's forgiveness then, as we keep looking at what Jesus did, God's forgiveness becomes then like a fresh start, a new chapter, a rebirth even, it's described as, because, and that's just like Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Uh, God's forgiveness, in other words can become for each of us a new beginning in our life with God. As he kind of puts us on our feet again, he brushes us off, and then he moves with us into our new chapter. I don't know where you are in your life, 
uh, or whether this, any of this means anything to you. But God does know. And God is always willing, as I say, to lift us up, put us on our feet again and walk with us into everything that he, he wishes for us to bless us. Now, that forgiveness, of course, is something we sometimes need in our human-to-human -human relationships as well, that, which is not easy, sometimes perhaps not even possible. But no relationship lasts very long without both people being willing to forgive. And likewise, and this is equally important, few marriages will last long without both people being willing to reset and change, become a new person when they're at fault. So if one person is always expected to do the forgiving, while the other person just repeatedly does wrong, you are going to have problems. Uh, that sort of situation can become abusive, of course, because it's not a relationship of mutual respect anymore. So if anyone goes into, I would say, if anyone goes into marriage with a kind of attitude that says, I am who I am, and if that person doesn't like it, that's tough because I'm not changing, things are going to be very difficult. Someone has put it like this, it is not only marrying the right person, it is being the right partner. But when, when there is that mutual forgiveness and willingness to change for one another's sake, that can become part of this incredible experience of learning as we love one another just as God has loved us and we grow together for each other's sake. That shared humility and compassion and patience which is mutually reciprocated between two people, can lead to wonderful things. Not always easy things. Please don't get me wrong. Marriages take work. But they also bring about the most wonderful things, nonetheless. When it comes down to it, of course, the thing that binds all of this together and that makes it real and possible is love. But what is love? Well, the Christian would say that love is defined by God. God who gives himself for the good of others. So love is not just romance. Love is not just a nice feeling or even attraction. As wonderful and fun and important as all of those things are. Ultimately, love is a verb. It is an action. Love is about how we treat one another. And this is why, by the way, in the Bible, the word love applies to all our relationships and interactions. Our English word love just simply isn't as broad as the biblical word, unfortunately. Jesus said, love God and love others as yourself. In other words, Jesus is saying that the importance of how we treat one another applies in every direction. Inwardly, for ourselves, to value who we are. Outwardly, to each other, to everyone we interact with. And upwardly towards God, because God already is pouring his love down upon us. Now, as a human race, we've always needed to hear that. Just one example as I finish. In the first century, when the later bits of the Bible were written, uh, unfortunately, in those days, society didn't really think it was necessary for a husband to love their wife. Now, some of them, many of them did, of course. But it was, it was very much a man's world, and, a, and, a, and society in those days didn't think a bloke was at fault if he didn't love his wife. But into that imbalanced world where women, sadly, could often be unloved, the Bible, through these absolutely revolutionary words, they were written by the Apostle Paul in the first century. So the Bible said this, Husbands, love your wives 
just as Jesus loved the church, that's us. He gave his life for her. He did this to set her apart, emphasising her beauty and goodness in God's sight, bringing out the best in us and covering any shame. In the same way, a husband ought to love their wife as their own self. Now, nobody was saying anything like that until suddenly they did. And what made the difference? Jesus made the difference. The example of him coming to the world and showing us his love for us all. So all those centuries ago, the love of Jesus Christ became the model for love within a marriage. And love is described there, not just as a feeling, but as a doing. It is to give ourselves for the other. It is to build them up and bring out the best in them so that they can flourish, even as they return that for us. And that's what it means to flourish, I believe. That's what God wants for you. That's how he loves you. And I think it's still the best model of what love is today. As the Bible puts it in one place. Friends, if this is how God loves us, then we also ought to love one another. Amen. Amen.